You're listening to Momentum, a show that helps men succeed in life. Depression, strangely, is not being able to feel appropriately about anything. It seems to be an absence of deep feeling other than a sense of devastation and emptiness and futility and pointlessness and hopelessness and despair, not sadness. Now, here's your hosts, Tim and Dez. Well, welcome to this week's Momentum. It is Tim and Dez with you once again, and we are just so glad that you are tuning in. Dez, how are you today, my Irish friend? Are you good? <laughs> I'm really, really good. And we've got some serious subjects to talk about today. So hold on to your seatbelts and uh, and let's get going. I actually think this is probably one of the most important topics that we're going to discuss on Momentum this year. And uh, it's one that's certainly current. And, you know, recent stats show that one in 16 Australians is currently experiencing some sort of depression. And around 6% of Australians aged between 16 and 85 have experienced a mental disorder in the last 12 months. But how do we know what we're feeling might actually be depression and not necessarily burnout or just fatigue after a fairly hectic few years? Well, to give us some more insight into depression, we're joined on Momentum once again by a counsellor and our very good friend, Richard Fay. It is great to have you back on Momentum, Richard. Thank you for joining us. Yes, and Timothy, thank you for having me. Richard, let's just recap a bit of your backstory because people who are listening and they've perhaps heard you speak on Momentum before, you've been fairly open about your own journey and you had a, a burnout journey um, a few years ago. Um, is burnout similar to depression? Is there something in the burnout journey that you would describe as depression? Tell us a bit about your experience. Now, my experience was that burnout precipitated depression and uh, burnout was simply a sign that uh, a few things, but, but particularly that I was running ahead of my own capacity to live life. I didn't have good self-care strategies. And so having uh, lived outside of my own healthy boundaries, uh, burnout happened. And burnout can simply be a period of exhaustion where you just need to rest for a few weeks and you will recover quite quickly. Or it can be a complete exhaustion mentally and emotionally where you need to stop for months and you will experience depression. And even that depression can have levels. But yes, mine tipped into full blown depression, which took me the better part of two years to come through. It's really interesting that you'd recognize a point in your life where you had the burnout. Were there signs coming up to that point that in hindsight you look back and you say, oh, I had this issue or I had another issue or it affected me this way that led, if you were aware of the signs, you'd have said, look, I'm, I'm heading for a burnout. Uh, yeah, but of course, when you're heading towards it, you don't want to look at the signs because there's actually some uh, disorganized thinking going on in you. And therefore you, it's like denial is the first stage of grief. You're denying what's actually happening. My wife picked it up. Uh, it's a good question, Des. My wife noticed I was running too fast, which is something that is common for people who are heading to burnout. They just amp it up because they think they can get ahead of a near breaking wave. But the near breaking yeah. wave is actually saying stop. And you don't want to stop because you're afraid of what you might face when you stop. 
And of course, 13 years later, I can look back at my life and go, I can see a whole lot of markers. Hmm. Uh, here's one for you. I would be standing at the checkout, long queue of checkouts with my groceries in a, in a shopping trolley. And I'd look at the lino floor of the supermarket and think, oh, I would oh. love to lie down on that floor, but I can't. I've just got to keep going. I'm too busy. I've got too many things on. I can't stop. I I wish if only it their giveaway signs that you're heading to, to burnout and and possibly yeah. burnout wow. induced depression. So then let's fast forward to that stage in your life. You you'd done the burnout piece and then you said you you went into depression for a couple of years. What was that like for you? I want to clarify something about depression and what it isn't. Depression is not being melancholy. You know, hmm. you hear, hear a sad song, uh someone very dear to you dies, something beautiful ends. Uh, and you feel deeply melancholic, you might weep, you might want to be alone and silent, it might go on for days, it might even go for, for weeks. That's not depression. Melancholy is a, a sense of being able to feel deeply the sadness of the situation. Depression is quite the opposite. Depression, strangely, is not being able to feel appropriately about anything. In fact, it seems to be an absence of deep feeling other than a sense of devastation and emptiness and futility and pointlessness and hopelessness and despair, not sadness. So depression is, is uh, a word they use for it is anhedonia. Hedonia, hedonism is this pursuit of, of pleasure. And A is like atheist. It's the opposite. So it's, it's the opposite of being able to feel pleasure. You feel nothing. You feel ash. You feel... Uh, you can't feel and you wish you could feel. You, you you can't access any. Sadness, strangely, is quite a beautiful feeling. You can't feel that. Mm. You feel an, an inner desolation uh, or, or a complete emptiness and abandonment on the inside. Nothing is good as left. And so depression is not melancholy. It's quite a, several levels deeper than that. And anyone who hasn't been through it won't always identify. If anyone's listening to this and is either in depression or has had depression, they'll understand what I'm saying. The other thing about depression is it's a loss of volitional capacity. In other words, a loss of an ability to be able to initiate things. You find you just stare at stuff and you can't get off the couch. You can't do that thing you've got to do. You can't get into life. And so you watch life float by. And for whatever reason you can't explain, you just don't seem to have the get up and go. The get up and go <laughs> got up and left. <laughs> and all you've got is this paralyzed sense of everything's too overwhelming to do. Wow. So Richard, men in general, you know, would say that they are quite uh, impassionate. You know, they don't get too caught up with emotion and so forth. So what's the difference between that, that men might be experiencing every day, and, and what is burnout and depression? Because they need to be able to understand the difference between the two. Men have a, have a wonderful nothing box inside their brains. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you're both laughing because you know it. My, my wife says to me, oh, oh, if only I had a nothing box. I don't know such a thing exists. Yeah. I can spend hours in my nothing box. And, uh, and I'm not feeling, thinking anything. I'm just completely present to whatever is. And, uh, and it's just a beautiful place. Yeah. It's not that. And a lot of men can just go on autopilot and become task-oriented. Yeah. The next thing, the next thing, the next thing. It's not that. It's actually very noisy in the head of a depressed person. You've got 
hundreds of continuous but fragmented thoughts. Nothing gets thought through properly because it's interrupted by another thought. Things are rushing or swirling inside you, but none of them are good. All of them are catastrophic or uh, hopeless or they sent they have the sense of meaninglessness to everything. And so it's not uh, it's not what most men might think of, oh, I don't have any emotions, so maybe I'm depressed. You will know it's like I don't know how I'm going to get through this week, this day, this hour. That's mm. that's how it can get to. How common would you say depression is, particularly amongst men? Well, it's interesting that, and I'm just going to address this: um, that depression, reported depression, is twice as prevalent with women as with men. Ah, but mm. there's a couple of reasons for that. Firstly, women are far more likely to report it because a man does not want to ever admit failure or that he's weak because it feels like a violation of, of his identity as a man. Mm. The men don't report depression, which is why men are four times as likely to, to commit suicide as women. Mm. So whatever the stats tell us actually is not an accurate picture. The second thing is male depression can often be expressed differently to female depression. Male depression can be expressed as uncontrollable rage. Mm. A man who flies off the handle uh, from zero to a hundred, really suddenly, easily triggered, snapped by lots of things, uh, suddenly finds himself getting irritated by so many things in life and can't regulate himself, and he's going to, going to anger a lot more than he normally would, is a giveaway for male-oriented depression. So men are probably almost as likely as women and. Uh, The stats, as you read earlier, Timothy, are quite scary for the levels of uh, struggles that we have in a society which where we many of us live unsustainably with a lost connection where we need deep connection. But but uh, one in two people, and that means one in two men, will face some kind of mental health challenge sometime in their life, whether it's anxiety or depression. What you've just said, based on that, I mean, the experiences I've had of men taking their own lives and suiciding, there has been no evidence of any depression or uh, anxiety or, and it's only sort of after the fact when their lives are explored by those who are close to them that they realize that there was stuff going on in their world that people didn't know about. And and so, but they hit it well. I remember going to a, a board meeting with a guy and we sat and laughed and talked about having lunch and, and so forth. On a, That was a Wednesday evening. And on Friday, his wife found him hanging in his garage. And there was no sign that he was depressed or anxious or and then and then we've got the problem of an awful lot of stats that don't even we don't even get to measure for example the number of car accidents that are actually suicide mm. uh, we don't know because we just call it uh, a car accident so it never gets reported as a stat yeah and this is the problem we have because those of us who survive go i wish i'd read the signs now there are a few signs here's a few firstly sudden change of appetite, increasing or decreasing uh, food, uh, n- no care for self, less less hygiene, not looking after yourself, grooming, yes. suddenly becoming obsessive about exercise or not exercising at all, uh, sudden change in mood, strangely. Yeah. A-, a person who has been carrying a heavy load and suddenly makes a decision, I know how I can fix this, I'm going to do something and I'm going to do it next Thursday, 
they, their mood will suddenly get elevated because they know next Thursday everything's going to get easier because they think, because yeah. they've got a plan. And so suddenly a, a, a person who's depressed can become quite happy because they've, they've made a plan to end their life. Now, what's interesting about that is wow. that tells you that suicide is not the problem. Yes. And suicide is not the solution hmm. because if they can realize that they can make a plan to take all the burden and pressure off, they just need a different solution. Yes. Hmm. That's good. What the depressed person is, is knowing is I need to let be able to let go of this. But as we say, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And it actually just projects that problem out onto everybody else. Everyone else near that person suffers for years and years and years because that person has lost access to what is real and what is valuable. They, The brain, and, and I just think this one through, the mind has no capacity to conceive the future. It's like a, a brick wall in front of me. Now, that's true for all of us. I can imagine and think about my future, but a depressed person, it's even more definite. In fact, the, the depressed person says there is no future. The past defines and the present defines my life. And you can't say, oh, but things will be better in a week or a month or a year because they can't imagine that. And so there are tools to help a person who's depressed, but say saying things like, oh, you'll be right, you'll get over it. No, no, it's just imagine in six, three months' time they have no capacity to do that. So the tools actually are much more involved in helping the client firstly embrace and accept deeply what is happening in the present and then explore what might be causing it from the past. Only then can the client look at the future. On that note, Richard, can I ask, particularly with your work with men that you do counselling, are there certain things for men particularly that can trigger depression? Have you found certain things that are common commonalities throughout a lot of men that you talk to? So here's the most common. The most common, and this is tragic for men, listen to what I'm about to say. How many men heard as little boys, stop crying, I'll give you something to cry about. You big girl, don't be so soft. What does that child, that boy grow up believing? I am not allowed to feel difficult emotions. So mm. what do I do? I get a garbage compactor and I press it down deep inside me to the mm. point I repress any difficult emotion. I don't know. I don't, I'm not allowed to feel those things. It's not safe for a man to feel what he feels. So any emotion, and there are a lot of difficult emotions, obviously fear, anger, sadness, uh, any sense of powerlessness will be driven down deep inside them. So where does it go? The anger to go, goes towards them. I'm wrong. I'm bad. Unconsciously. We don't even know this is happening. Uh, I'm, I'm not worth being seen. No one will listen to me. Why would anyone listen to me? Because if, if I express anything, I'll be told, don't you dare do that, you pathetic creature. That's what a man heard often in his childhood. So that is childhood trauma. And the other one is neglect where mum and dad just simply weren't there. And there's a void. It's, it's like I'm, a, I'm an absence. I, you know this if you speak to somebody and they say, I don't remember much of my childhood. Uh, I don't seem to remember anything before about the age of nine or 10. Then mm. there's a good chance that that little boy didn't get the love, care and attention 
often from dad, sometimes from dad and mum, which means that little boy grows up into a man going, I don't really matter. In fact, worse still, I'm a burden to my family. I'm a burden to my children. I'm a burden to my wife. That's what depression can say when childhood trauma is fueled by neglect. That then becomes a tsunami. And, you know, there are most dynamically powerful solutions to that that can change men's lives when they can be revisited. And it doesn't need to be terrifying or devastating. It can be answered. It can be resolved. Let's come back at the other side of the break and look at some of those solutions that you're talking about, Richard. This is an incredible um, conversation, by the way, and we really hope that you're getting something from this. Richard Fay is our special guest. We're talking about depression here on Momentum. As we take a short break, just have a quick squeeze around our website, MomentumAustralia.org, and we'll be back uh, with some solutions about this and some more thoughts from Richard Fay in just a tick. Stay tuned. You're listening to Momentum, a show that helps men succeed in life. Find out more at MomentumAustralia.org. Well, welcome back to this week's show. It is uh, Tim and Des and our special guest, Richard Fay. We are talking about depression on the show this week. And uh, Richard, let's just quickly recap uh, the first part of the show and particularly one thing that you mentioned about some of the causes of depression, because for all of us, that's a little different. But some of the things perhaps that uh, men should be looking for or people around them could be looking for that might indicate that depression is onset or is happening. There are a, a bunch of reasons that people get depressed. Uh, there are there are biological, neurological reasons that are difficult to identify, which require the treatment of usually a psychiatrist and possibly a clinical psychologist or ongoing counselling and medication, which we might get to later on. Uh, there is chronic pain. If someone has a extended chronic pain, uh, they they can feel so powerless that life just feels like it's filled with pain. And there are treatments that a good counsellor, psychologist would be able to help you with working with pain. Uh, there are stages of life transitions. Uh, my own burnout and depression happened at my late 40s, which is a classic point for men in their 40s. Mm. It's, uh, it's summed up in that, that movie that Jack Nicholson was in, As Good As It Gets. What if this is as good as it gets? Uh, there's another one that happens often for men reaching retirement. They, they feel like their life is futile now because their, their, their purpose, their meaning uh, is gone. It often can happen uh, with a young man who feels like he hasn't got what it takes to launch into the world. The world looks intimidating and overwhelming. There are many stages of life transitions that can cause it. Uh, and as I said, the ongoing uh, trauma that comes from either war-based or uh, emergency service-based or you're in an accident, a, a disaster, a PTSD can cause it, or childhood trauma, which I mentioned in that uh, session mm. before the break. Mm. There's some of the things that cause depression. One of the things you said, Richard, was that when you find yourself in the state of depression, the signs were identified by your wife rather than by you. And, and I wondered if you would like to talk about that because I, I would have thought that you would have seen yourself going through, you know, stages that you say, oh, I'm, I'm heading for depression. But that didn't happen in your case. I, I wouldn't want to say to anybody who uh, knows someone in depression or anyone who is in depression but may not know it is it's not always possible or even easy at all to be able to identify depression in yourself because your own perception of reality is already distorted. That's true. And therefore, you will probably deny it 
uh, you will blame all the external things. Oh, it's just the economy, uh, or, or it's just COVID, or, or it's uh, or it's just my job, and uh, you you will deny it. So you have to trust the voices closest to you. There are a few signs, and here's one that's very very common. You will wake up in the morning dreading the day. Wow. Or you will wake up feeling exhausted. You don't wake up with a spring in your step. You wake up feeling you won't think you're worth much as a person. That's an absolute giveaway. I don't, I think I'm a piece of garbage. Uh, you will have interrupted sleep. You will typically wake halfway through the night, sometimes two, three hours into your sleep and find your mind really busy and struggle to go back to sleep. Interrupted sleep and struggling to get back to sleep is not only because of depression, but is a marker of depression. You will find yourself wanting to medicate it. So you find yourself more distracted. That's why depressed people are more likely to have gambling addictions, drug and alcohol addictions, because they are medicating something that is very painful and uh, challenging. And so, uh, you know, in in our society, it's not just alcohol these days, it's often weed. Marijuana Mm. is becoming a real issue. And uh, somebody who finds weed helps them um, uh, feel calm is both anxiety and depression. Richard, for for men listening who can perhaps identify with some of what you've just said there, maybe there's some things there that they can go, oh, I feel like that that's me, or I have some of those symptoms. What's the next step? I mean, obviously, acknowledgement is the first part, but what what's a what's a positive next step that they can take? Well, Einstein said no problem can be solved by the consciousness that created it. So if you are depressed, you cannot get yourself out of it. Don't think that by doing all the things that you've you tried in the past will work. I'll tell you a few of the things I did. I prayed more. I read the Bible more. <laughs> I went on retreats. I went to seminars, conferences. I listened to the wisdom and advice of, of people about how to do life better. I, b- I bought books and read them. None of them work. None of them. Isn't that strange to say that? <laughs> At which point you need the help of a professional, but you'd have to trust that. And don't stop if the first professional you talk to doesn't work because sometimes that just happens. You just get no connection. Mm. The first thing that helps more than anything is being heard, seen, and known. Being heard, seen, and known means actually what I'm going through is human. I'm not bad. I'm not stupid. I'm not weak. I'm human. And then, of course, that person, that professional is going to start giving you some help. Of course, I mentioned earlier, medication becomes something that helps for a while. I'm not suggesting for most people medication is the best long-term outcome, but it is often a necessary step, often. And I know some people might go, I'm not trusting in God if I take medication. That was me. I held the tablets in my hand and I went, oh, God, I don't trust in you. What a pathetic person I am that I need these tablets. (laughs) But everyone's telling me to take them even though I don't want to. So here we go. And I took one. And I took one the next day and the next day. I just trusted people external to me. I trusted that they knew what I couldn't understand or perceive. And a few months later, I looked at this tablet and I said, thank you, God, that someone invented this medication. I wish it worked a little better, but it's working. (laughs) (laughs) And, and And I didn't stay on it for years. I'm not on any medication now. 
Yeah, one of the things you said there is the stigma in Christian circles around ma- people, men, who are suffering depression and and maybe do go on medication. And clearly, you know, there's, there's a view in the Christian world that it's wrong to take medication and you should, you know, trust God more and pray more and, and so forth. So it's interesting that you went through that cycle. Yes. Oh, I've read, I read books saying uh, you're not trusting in God if you need medication. Yeah. And uh, I, I just know how dangerous and, and false that thinking is. Well, can we speak into that space for, for a tick, Richard? Because, you know, I've been in certain parts of the Christian community too, which would simply say that even if you are feeling that way, there's something wrong with your faith to some degree. So just can you unpack that for us? Because there might be men listening who, you know, they step into church and they go like, <laughs> oh, well, well, you just need, you know, Obviously, there's sin in your life, or there's you know something, or this happening, or you, you know what I mean, because we've all heard that. So, so there's something wrong with my faith, or there's sin in my life, or there's sin in all of our lives. Yeah. Okay, that's why. That's why <laughs> I, I have a savior, and I'm not my savior. <laughs> that's the first thing I want to say. And secondly, um, I, I I don't have enough faith. So suddenly, what is faith? It's a work on my behalf. It's not grace or mercy. It's not what mm. God gives me. Yeah. It's what I have to manage. Yeah. And a depressed person is an exhausted person, and you just—we're just told we're going to do something else to get ourselves well. Pull yourself. Say, saying you don't have enough faith is like saying you've got to pull yourself up like by your bootstraps. I, I, I love. There's a line in an old Steve Curtis Chapman song where it says, "I don't need a little help. I need a savior." Yeah. Mm. What a gift is that for a depressed person that we have a savior. Yeah. My yoke is easy and my burden is light and you will find rest for your souls. Richard, then let me ask you about your relationship with the Lord when you were in the the pit of depression, when you're in the full-blown part of it. Tell me about then what was that like with your relationship with God? How did that change in that moment? Thank you for asking this question. I became an existential atheist. I became a logic. I was I never never once stop being a theoretical Christian who believed that Jesus is the Christ who came into the world and died on a cross for me and rose from the dead. All of those things have always been true for me theoretically, but in depression, there was no experience of it. I became an embodied experience of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm. And if God has forsaken me, if I have no experience of God's love for me, I am an existential atheist. In other words, I have no knowledge, experiential knowledge of God's love for me. And the worst thing anyone would ever say to me would be God loves you. Mm. I'd want to curse them. I wanted them to say, I love you. You matter to me. I'm here for you. Because that was the only way I ever experienced the Christ was through their embodied presence in my life because Mm. I could no longer... You know, the indwelling Christ, I'd lost access to the indwelling Christ because of my depression, not because not because God had become distant, but because my depression had made my experience of God dif- distant and therefore I need human beings to scaffold me. Yeah. Uh, we, we put, you know, you put a caterpillar in, a, in a, uh, a, a pupa, in a chrysalis, and it doesn't become a butterfly. It becomes gel. It becomes gelatinous and clear and breaks down completely. And this is often what's going on in a depressive episode or stage of our lives. We have to let go of what we've known and trust mm. elders, trust 
wise voices around us that say, you're going to get through this, not because you think it, but because I know it. And all you need to know is I'm here for you. The best thing people did for me is just sit with me and let me know they were present to me and that I mattered to them. Yeah. And I got through my depression because of that. Brilliant. A couple of final thoughts, Richard. And, you know, we've, we've talked about obviously from our own perspective of depression, but you said a few times that it was your wife that picked this up on you, right? She could see the signs before you could. So for people listening right now, for guys listening right now, or, or even women listening who have partners who can see something happening, whether it's a friend, a work colleague, a wife, a partner, whatever it may be, and they can see some signs, how do they broach that with the person that could potentially be suffering from depression? Uh, often to not tell them because they will defend their position saying, no, that's not true. So I think you can say, how are you going in yourself right now? Honestly, sometimes it's easiest to say is zero is I just am finding life a hard slog. Everything feels difficult. To 10, I love my life. I honour who I am and I can access the joy and peace and beauty of those around me, the world I live in, and God's love for me. Where are you on that scale? Give me a score that you honestly feel. And then start, there is actually apps that are mood trackers and you can actually track your mood even several times during the day and you can actually watch your mood. And if the scores are below six or seven, then something's not right in that person's life. And helping the person to non-judgmentally just reflect back on how they feel in themselves. Hmm. Not say, I think you're depressed and you need to go and talk to somebody. They will just push back on that. Mm. Explore and get them to, how are you feeling in yourself? And they might say, how are you, why are you asking? You go, uh, you just seem to have lost your spring in your step and I just, uh, I, I care about you. And, uh, you know, it's it's okay because I've, I, you know, we all lose our spring, but I, I want you to know that that I'm here and and the support is available to you. And, it, and, and then sometimes I've had um, clients come with a support supporting person, often a, a close friend or, or a family member to their first session with me, mm. just because they feel so uncomfortable, so anxious, so terrified because what depression says already is I failed. I've screwed up. I'm a bad person. And therefore they're terrified that the therapist is going to go, well, you fail, haven't you? And of course, they get the exact opposite. Any therapist who reinforces that isn't worth it, worth a piece of paper on their wall. Hmm. The first thing I say to a depressed person is, "You're safe because you're here." Yeah, and you're exhausted, aren't you? And you know what they usually do? They start weeping. Yeah, because they finally feel seen and known, and they they can put the mask off. You know, one of the things about depression is you get anxious about going out because you've got to put on the mask. You go to work or you go to the shops or you go to church or you go to any social situation and you put the mask on and, and it's a fake mask and you just don't want to go out at all because you just feel exhausted letting yeah. anyone know how you feel. And in the space of a safe counselling room, you can be seen. Yeah. It's, and, you know, it's one of the reasons why we in Momentum are always pushing for men to get alongside other men. Uh, and we say it time and time again, it's it's about getting together with men before you have an issue rather than when you have an issue. Because that way you build relationships, you build the trust, the camaraderie, the friendship, 
And so when you do hit that wall or get to that point, you have people around you who understand you and, and you feel you can trust them. Absolutely. As we wrap up the show, I'm going to leave you with a couple of numbers uh, that may help you out in this instance. Um, and again, part of the key here is is reaching out. Uh, Lifeline is 13114, Beyond Blue, 13002024636. But Richard Fay, we're going to have to wrap that up today. We are out of time. But uh, thank you for speaking into that space so honestly, so openly, so transparently from your own perspective. And really giving is a good idea of uh, some of the things to look for, some of the things that, you know, we can look for in other people around this incredible topic and this very important topic that is happening in society at the moment. Depression has been our topic. Richard Fay has been our special guest here on Momentum. Richard, really appreciate your time, mate. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Momentum, a show that helps men succeed in life. For more information or to hear this week's show again, go to MomentumAustralia.org. You can also access a whole range of resources to help you on your journey and to get in touch with the team at MomentumAustralia.org. Until next time, keep moving forward with Momentum.